Thank you, Holly, so much. Appreciate that. I would, uh, again, sitting there thinking, I would, uh, I would, I would purchase a CD of instrumental music from Paul Richmond and and Holly uh, Holly Lindman. I would, uh, I could listen to that all afternoon. That kind of stuff. So ex excellent. Thank you so much for for sharing with us. Acts chapter seven this morning. Acts chapter seven. That is where we are. chapter 7. If you would pray for uh, Judy, she's still sick. Dad's getting it too. Well, when I talked to him earlier, she was going to try to quarantine uh, Larry so he didn't get it, but yeah, okay. So pray for him. They've got the, they've got the crud stuff, so. And I shouldn't, I shouldn't tell on her, but she said, I was sick at Thanksgiving, but I wanted to be with my family, so I pretended that I was okay. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, so if everybody in the family's sick, it's you know exactly whose fault it is. Yeah. All right, Acts chapter seven. If you'd turn there, please. We've been studying through the book of Acts, and the writer of the book of Acts is Luke. Luke is the beloved physician. He is Paul's companion in these missionary journeys. We'll see that a little bit later as we get further on in the book. Uh, he's a historian and, of course, the gospel writer for the book of Luke that we've already looked at um, in, the, in regards to the life of Christ. book of Acts is um, about the work of the Holy Spirit. It, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in the, uh, some, sometimes it'll say the Acts of the Apostles at, at your little heading at the start of the book, but it's really the Acts of the Holy Spirit working through the Apostles. Uh, this bridges the gap between the Gospels and the Epistles, um, and uh, Jesus ascends into heaven, Holy Spirit descends, and we have the book of Acts, and then from there goes to all the different Epistles and the writings of the, the Apostles. The apostles at this particular point are bold. They were cowardly before. They are now bold because they are filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter and John preach on the day of Pentecost and say that this was God's deliberate plan. He sent His Son on purpose uh, to die, but you crucified Him. That doesn't make you guiltless. You crucified Him, and God raised Him back to life. And now He's at God's right hand, and He has sent to us the Holy Spirit as He promised he says, what you need to do is you need to repent, and you need to re change your mind about who Jesus is. He's given you a second chance. We're going to talk a lot this morning again about this idea of a second chance, or uh, a you refuse the first time, but God gives you another opportunity. And Peter and John said, this is a second chance, and don't be afraid to, to take a stand and be baptized and uh, separate from this unbelieving crowd. It says 3,000 responded on the day of Pentecost. Later, 5,000 men were added to the church. And then it talks about multitudes of men, women, and children were continually added throughout the days and the weeks that followed. Satan opposes this, of course. He's uh, in that particular business. And twice with the Sanhedrin tries to stop the apostles from sharing once they are threatened and they're put in prison and released from prison. They're, they're beaten, and they consider it an honor to be beaten for the cause of Christ. And 
Then we have the disruption from within with Ananias and Sapphira pretending to be something that they're not, pretending to be super spiritual and, and, and they're spiritual frauds. And, and Peter says, you've not lied to men, you've lied to the Holy Spirit, you've lied to God. And, and you think God's not going to do something about this. And, and then there's more complaints about the widows, that Grecian widows are not being treated fairly. And um, the apostles say, well, we have other responsibilities this is not my intent this is we just have too many things to do uh, we have to preach and teach daily and they're doing miracles and they're fighting opposition we need to find some other men to be willing to do this so they found seven men of honest report men that were well thought of full of the holy spirit full of wisdom including these men stephen who is the main object of our discussion this morning stephen philip Procurus, who later became a pastor in his own right, uh, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenius, who also became a pastor, and Nicholas, who was actually a Gentile convert uh, to Judaism and then to Christianity. The problem is solved. People are happy. The apostles are pleased. The multitudes pleased. The word of God increases. And it even mentions the fact that many of the temple priests, because it's kind of interesting, is that's where everything seems to be located. In in and around the temple is where the healings are taking place, where the teaching is taking place. And these temple priests that have to be there on site are hearing these words. It's similar to when Paul is in Rome and he and he's and he's preaching and teaching and and, and he's has you know he has guards all around him. Uh, it says that many in Caesar's household became believers just from being exposed to the Word of God and being, we're sort of required to be here, so we hear it. I, I, this sounds kind of strange and unusual, but I, I think sometimes even when uh, we have funeral services, um, uh, some of the messages and, and, and some of the message intent is for even the participants as far as the uh, funeral home people uh, that are there. Uh, imagine if you, <laughs> if you worked at a funeral home, imagine how many messages you've heard. Imagine how many services you've sat through. But the fact that you hear the truth of God's Word, and these people responded. Temple priests are becoming believers. The disciples are multiplying. Stephen is, says he was full of faith and full of power, and he began to do miracles. And then he was confronted by Jews from other countries that disputed with Stephen. Uh, some of these Jews were from Africa and Egypt and Cilicia, which, again, we mentioned the capital of Cilicia was a city called Tarsus, and we're later going to be introduced to a Saul of Tarsus, who is quite adamantly opposed to Stephen and the church and all the things that are going on. And, and Jews from Asia, they're disputing, but they were not successful in their dispute. Uh, they had no successful arguments against what Stephen had to say, so they had to pay people to lie about him. Uh, and they lied, and they said he's blasphemy against Moses and against God, and of course, how how worse can you get than that? I mean, Moses and God, this is bad. Uh, he speaks against the temple and the law. Uh, he says he's going to destroy this temple or that Jesus will destroy the temple and we're going to change all the customs of the Jews. And as it says, they stirred up the people. They brought him before the council. And as the council stared at him and looked at him, it said that his face appeared to be the face of an angel. And that would be a little disturbing from the very start, face of an angel. Why? Again, because Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of power. And he begins to present a message or a defense. 
in regards to and using Abraham, Joseph, and Moses. And it's one of the longest, it is the longest speech in the book of Acts. It's the longest uh, speech that is recorded there. And, and we've already looked at the Abraham part of things. He says Abraham followed God's direction. But I do want to point out one thing that maybe we, we kind of might have overlooked last week. Abraham was called from Ur of the Chaldees. Remember we talked about that from Ur, went all the way up the Euphrates River, and they stopped at a place called Haran. And they stayed there till Abraham's father died. And then God called him again to go down to what would be the land of Canaan. Uh, it is somewhat believed that they were supposed to go initially to the land of Canaan, but they stopped there because Abraham's dad wanted to stay there and settle there. And Haran was a pleasant land, a wonderful place to be. And it's like, okay, I called you to go to one place. You did not completely obey me the first time. I'm going to call you a second time. And it says Abraham left that and then went down to the land of Canaan. So the interesting thing is called him twice to leave. Uh, once went partway. And then finally went all the way. But when Abraham dies, it says he had really no land. He was a nomad. He had no land, no inheritance, no children to speak of as far as the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky. Yet he believed God. And it says he died believing in the eventual fulfillment. I think the passage up here, maybe Hebrews. These all died in faith, talking about Abraham and so forth, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. It's like they're looking for something, and they believed that God would eventually fulfill His promise. <clears throat> Acts chapter 7, verse number 9, if you would join me, join me there. He then switches from the subject of Abraham to the subject of Joseph. And these two this morning, Joseph and Moses, we're going to hopefully be able to look at both of them this morning. Um, the patterns are, are kind of amazing. And again, the fact that Stephen would pick these two out... Uh, I, I want you to, as we read through this, and I'm going to try to draw the correlation to it later, but as we read through it, I want you to do it on your own. Think about Joseph and his circumstances and how it paralleled or mirrored Jesus's, okay? And then think about Moses and what Moses went through and see how that parallels Jesus. Because what he's going to say is <laughs> Joseph was God's deliverer, and nobody saw it, nobody understood it. Okay, or very, or the masses of people, you know, the brothers didn't see it, and Moses was God's deliverer, and they didn't see it either. Okay, not the first time, but they would see it the second time. Jesus has come, and it's like there's a whole bunch of people that didn't see it the first time, and now they're getting a second time with the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, once you kind of follow with me and 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 look at those things and and see how. Joseph first, and then Moses, how uh, some of their things and events parallel Jesus' life, and we'll try to point them out as we go through. The patri- it says the patriarchs, and the reference here to the patriarchs is Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Jacob's sons, 12 sons. Uh, Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs, or the fathers or the heads of our families, the heads of our tribes. And the patriarchs moved with envy. Um, <laughs> sold Joseph into Egypt, but God was with him. And again, the fact that he says, he basically tells about our fathers, we're all, we're all members of different tribes of, uh, of Israel, we're different tribes of Jacob. And it was our fathers that turned on Jacob. Uh, it was our fathers that, um, because of envy, 
And again, that puts a little bit more light on the story that we see in Genesis because Joseph's brothers hated him. And it was envy, it was jealousy. Now, the story is told that, you know, the Sunday school version of the story is that, oh, he was daddy's favorite, okay? Well, I believe he was daddy's favorite because dad's, of all the kids, dad saw something in this boy that was different. This boy has visions and dreams that God is sending him. Jacob was not a stranger to visions and dreams himself. He saw the latter vision, and now his son has seen visions and dreams. He goes, hmm, at least I have one boy that has some kind of spiritual quality about him. Uh, he's the only one responsible. He's the only one I can trust. And I think he put him in charge of the other 10. Uh, son number 11 in charge of brothers 1 through 10. That would go really well. Um, the brothers are envious and jealous. And it says they sold Joseph into Egypt. They initially intended to kill him. Uh, they found him. Here comes that dreamer. Uh, let's put him in a pit. Let's kill him and bury him, and, and then we'll see what happens to his dreams. If it wasn't for Reuben, the oldest, they would have killed him. Reuben stops it, and they, they throw him in a pit. And Reuben, actually, with the intent, Reuben's going to let him go later. Uh, Reuben's plan is to, you know, when, I, uh, when nobody's around, nobody's looking, I'm going to get him out, send him home to Dad, you know, get him away from these people. But Reuben is in another area, and out comes these uh, uh, merchants uh, headed for Egypt. And Simeon, second in charge, gets the idea, well, all right, we won't kill him, but we'll sell him. And they sold him into slavery, sold him into Egypt. And the key word here, a key phrase in verse number 9, but God was with him. Refused and rejected by his brothers. But Jacob saw something different in Joseph. Brothers didn't see it. They put him in a pit, planned to kill him, and so forth. God delivered him, uh, and it says, uh, and delivered him out of all of his afflictions, and gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and made him governor over Egypt and over all his house. Uh, a lot of the life of Joseph is skipped in this, but the fact of the matter is uh, he has problems and difficulties. He's successful in Potiphar's house, but then Potiphar's wife turns her eyes upon him and and, and wants to uh, lure him into an, an adulterous-type relationship, and he'll have nothing to do with it. And God delivers him out of that, even though he ends up in prison. He's favored in Potiphar's house, and then he's favored in the prison. And through all these things, uh, he's then called out of prison. Uh, he, he should have been put to death for the accusations against Potiphar's wife. He should have stayed in prison forever, but he's there for two years, and he comes out, and in, in the sight of Pharaoh, he's one who found favor and wisdom. So Jacob saw it in Joseph. Potiphar saw it. The jailers saw it. Pharaoh saw it. But his brothers didn't see it. Even to the point where it says there came, verse 11 says, there came a dearth over all the land of Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers found no sustenance. They had seven years, Joseph's, one of Joseph's dream, or it was the Pharaoh's dream that Joseph interpreted, seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And so Joseph basically convinced the people of Egypt to store and save during the years of plenty. By the way, that is a difficult thing to do, even though you know it. Even as It's like, you know, here's where... This is my time of plenty. There's going to be a time where I'm going to need this money. I need to save it. It's hard to save. It's just hard to save. But they did. And uh, two years into this famine, 
Um, they're having all kinds of difficulty, not just in Egypt, but in, uh, in surrounding areas, in the surrounding area of Canaan as well. Uh, it says there came a dearth or a famine over all the land of Egypt and Canaan. Great affliction. Our fathers found no sustenance. The only possibility of deliverance is found in Egypt. But when Jacob heard that there was corn in Egypt, he sent our fathers first. And this is no coincidence that Joseph is using the term our fathers, okay? Because what he's going to do, he's going to link these things up. He says, there's a pattern here. How our fathers responded to Joseph and how our fathers responded to Moses is exactly how you responded to Jesus. And he said, you didn't see it. You didn't recognize it. You were jealous. You were envious. What was the, what was the problem? What did Pilate say when they brought Jesus to him? <laughs> he knew it was for envy and jealousy. He knew there, there's, there's no charges against this man. The Sanhedrin is envious and jealous. And so when he uses these terms like our fathers, these are your, this is what your daddies and granddaddies and great-granddaddies, and you're the same. You're acting the same way. By the way, um, <laughs> um, there's little catchphrases and little buttons you push uh, with sometimes with your loved ones that can cause much difficulty and much disaster. And if you say something like, if you say something to your wife like, you're acting like your mother, run for cover. Okay? <laughs> Uh, if anything, anything like that, anytime you make some kind of reference uh, to that, I'm, in, in, in my case, it was my daughter. I said, you're acting like my sister. Because people recognize exactly what that means. And, and so what happens here, Joseph is saying, you are, or, or, or Stephen is saying, you're acting like your fathers. Your fathers were ignorant. They were stupid. Stupid. They didn't see the truth. It was right in front of them. And they did not see. They hated their brother. They were envious. They were jealous. And that's the same thing. This is exactly what you're doing with Jesus. Same thing. There was famine throughout the land. And it says, we, he sent our fathers first. There were two times that the brothers came to Egypt. The first time they came, they, they left accused of being uh, spies and and Simeon was left behind in prison. Interestingly enough, of all the brothers that Joseph could have chosen, the one he decided to keep in prison was Simeon. Who was the guy in charge when they sold him into Egypt? Hmm, hmm. That should have been a tip off from the very start. But Simeon is the one that's kept behind, um, and they didn't recognize him. And then the second time, you see the, here in verse 12, first time and the second time, Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's kindred was made known unto Pharaoh. And they sent Joseph and called his father Jacob to him, and his kindred threescore and fifteen souls. That's about 75. So Jacob went down to Egypt and died, he and our fathers, and were carried over unto Shechem and laid in the sepulcher that Abraham brought for a sum of money, of the sons of Emor, the father of Shechem. Again, what is amazing is uh, Stephen's knowledge of the Old Testament. Stephen's knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures is, is again, amazing. As he recounts these stories and he tells these stories, and he says they sent our fathers twice, 
Second time, Joseph revealed himself to them. Uh, Joseph weeps both times. Joseph weeps the first time, and it says his brothers did not know him or recognize him, and Joseph wept. And now we have Jesus outside of Jerusalem waiting to come in for Palm Sunday. And what does it say? Jesus wept over Jerusalem. They don't see. They don't understand. Oh, they say in all the right words, but they just don't get it. A second time. Look at these verses from, this is the original count in Genesis, um, just to follow through. Second time, Joseph could not restrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, Cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard. And Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph, doth my father yet live? And his brothers could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. I am Jesus. I am. You know, it's like, once again, he was the Messiah. You crucified You've rejected. You, you, you realize that the person who can give you deliverance, the person that can save you, in their case, save them physically and take care of them and provide for them, he's our brother, but yeah, let's see, how did we treat him? We were going to kill him, and we sold him into slavery. We didn't want anything to do with him. We were, you know, and what he's doing is he's extending himself a second time, and he's willing to forgive them. Uh, and G- Joseph said to his brother, come near to me, I pray you. And they came here again. Can you again imagine the scene, if you would? I don't know all of it ex- except for he says, "I am Joseph, your brother. Come." I don't think they ran. I don't think they were like, "Oh, brother, it's great to see you." I no. It's more like, well, "You go ahead." I, that's, <laughs> Come near to me, I pray you. They came near, and he said, I, I'm Joseph, your brother, who you sold in Egypt. Remember that? And it's like, yeah. There's, by the way, there's been nothing else on their mind. When, it, when you read these other passages, there's so much guilt built up in the, in the hearts of these brothers for what they did. So much guilt. Uh, it's like every time we see our father, and every time father mourns or mentions Joseph's name, it's like, should we tell him that he's still alive? Should we, you know? What we did, what we did, what we did is constantly in their mind. Even to the point when they come back and they're accused of being spies, it's because of what we did to our brother that you know God is treating us this way. That's the first thing on their mind because the guilt is right up front. And he says, oh, remember me? You sold me into the Yeah, we sort of remember what we did. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves. Allow yourself, forgive yourselves, okay, because you sold me here. For God did send me before to preserve life. This was God's plan from the beginning. Hmm, sound familiar? Okay, sound familiar? Peter says this was God's deliberate plan. You certainly did the wrong thing. But it was God's deliberate plan to send me to preserve life. These two years have the famine been in the land, and yet there are five more. This isn't over yet in which there shall neither be earring nor harvest. It's going to be five more years of, of famine. God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but it was God. He hath made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his house, ruler throughout all the land of Egypt, second in command over all of Egypt. I am at Pharaoh's right hand. 
Okay, I hope I, I hope little light bulbs are popping up all over the place. I, I I hope you see these things. Haste now and go to my father. Say to him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, tarry not. And thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen. Thou shalt be with me. Thou shalt be near unto me. Where I'm going, you cannot go now, but I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there ye may be also, and you'll spend forever. The God of the universe wants me to live with him forever. You'll be near unto me, you and your children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that you have. And there will I nourish thee, for yet there's still five more years of famine. Bless thou and thy household, and all that thou hast come to poverty. Jacob did come. Jacob, that's Joseph's dad, lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, still five more years of famine, 12 years after the famine. This is kind of important, okay? The famine is over. The reason the children of Israel left the land that was promised to them was because of a famine. The famine is over and has been over for 12 years. 17 years, so the whole age of Jacob was 140 and 7. And the time drew near for Israel, he must die. And he called his sons Joseph, and he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh, and deal kindly and truly with me. Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. Bury me not in old, or whatever. Um, but I will lie with my fathers, and thou shalt carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. This is the cave of Machpelah. And he said, I will do as thou hast said. Joseph promises. And he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him. And Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. And he charged them. He called all of his sons together. This is Jacob again, calling all of his sons together. And said unto them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. This is exactly what Stephen was saying. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan, which Abraham brought with the field of Ephron the Hittite into possession of the for a burial place. And there they buried Abraham and Sarah's wife, and they buried Isaac and Rebekah his wife, and there I buried Leah. Purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was from the children of Heth. And when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto the people. And Joseph went up to bury his father, and with him went all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the elders of the land of Egypt. This is quite an entourage. All the house of Joseph and his brethren and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds, they left in the land of Goshen. I believe they should have taken everything and everyone and gone back. This is a perfect example of people that overstayed their welcome. Uh, they were stayed in Goshen because it was convenient. It was comfortable well taken care of, provided for. Let's go back to the land of promise. No, why would we do that? And they stayed there too long. And there arose a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. And then they ended up in slavery and bondage. Notice, please. 17, chapter Acts 7, 17. But when the time of the promise drew near, this is the promises that Stephen's already referred to in regards to Abraham things that God promised to Abraham. 
When the time of the promise drew near that God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till there arose a king, or a king arose, which knew not Joseph. And um, there it is again. The time of the promise, uh, the promise of the land, you know, should they, you know, should they have gone back? Were they told to go back and they didn't listen? Uh, but the, the people, the promise of seed increasing, promise of bondage, promise of deliverance, all those promises are now coming into effect. And he says, till another king arose which knew not Joseph. This is very similar to the Exodus phrase. <clears throat> Joseph died, and all his brethren and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and it increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. So if not at the death of Jacob, certainly at the death of Joseph, they should have headed for home. And now he talks and switches to Moses. Joseph, who was rejected by his brothers, sold and thrust out away from his family. And, and the first time they, they met, they didn't recognize him or didn't respond Second time, he revealed himself to them again. And now he's going to take care of them and provide for them and, and so forth. Moses. The king arose who knew not Joseph. And the same, this king, or these pharaohs of Egypt, dealt subtly with our kindred and evilly entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. Okay, once again, it's sort of subtle in the, in the text, but notice this again. The king that knew not Joseph, they dealt subtly, deceitfully, carefully corrupt were these people, evilly entreated. And they evilly entreated, and he uses the term again, our fathers, okay? Our fathers envied and were jealous of Joseph, the person who was sent to deliver us and save our lives. Our fathers, who were being evilly treated in, in Egypt, turned over their sons. Notice, please, what it says here. Uh, they dealt subtly with our kindred and evilly entreated our fathers so that they cast out their young children. Our fathers cast out their young children to the end that they might not live. And so there's a, this is a scolding. It says, our fathers willingly turned over their sons to be killed by the Egyptians. Now you say willingly, it's like under threat or whatever. And, and so he says, you know, our fathers were willing to sacrifice their own sons to save their own lives. And so again, there's kind of a despairing uh, reference to our fathers here. Uh, they succumbed to this to the point where they were willing to sacrifice their own children, in which time Moses was born and was exceedingly fair and nursed up in father's house three months. And he was cast out. Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nourished him for her own son. And, of course, we know that particular story as well. Uh, Moses' parents were not willing to give in they feared Pharaoh's command, but they did not fear it to the point where they were not going to uh, offer their sons up. And uh, they set it up so that 
their son would be found by Pharaoh's daughter. Now, of course, that's a chance and that's a risk as well because it's possible that Pharaoh's daughter would have turned him over to dad and the boys put to death. But he had some chance this way and, and um, he ended up, it says he was cast out. Verse 21, Pharaoh's daughter took him up and nursed him as her own son. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was a full 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. A whole bunch of things just kind of come to my mind. Number one, of course, is when Moses will tell God, I, I'm not eloquent. I, I, I really can't speak that well. Um, according to Stephen, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. So this excuse is a pretty pitiful excuse. Mighty in words and mighty, I'm slow of speech, slow of tongue. I'm not eloquent. He just didn't want to do it. Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. What took so long? He was a full, and that's another thing, a full 40 years old. When he came into his heart to visit Israel, he was 40 before he decided that this is what I need to do. I need to, uh, I need to defend my, uh, my uh, heritage, my family, my uh, native people. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him and avenged him. Uh, the one that was oppressed, and he smote the Egyptian. Uh, the passage in Hebrews uh, says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He, he made a choice. He said, this is enough. This is it. I'm making my choice. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the traces of Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of reward. And again, think about that. He is, he is a prince in Egypt, raised in Pharaoh's house, raised by Pharaoh's daughter. The be, for 40 years, he had the best of everything Egypt had to offer, and Egypt is a world power at this particular point. And he says, you know what? I need to give that all up for my people. And then to the point where he defends one, and he smites, he kills uh, an Egyptian taskmaster. Look at verse 25. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. Moses is like, okay, God's going to use me to deliver you out of Egypt. They understood not. This first offer, again, is not understood. Supposing they would have understood. The next day, he showed himself again to them as they strove, and he would have set them, uh, and he would have set them at one again, saying, Sirs, we are brethren. Why do you wrong one another? Why do you fight amongst yourselves? And he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away. Who made thee a ruler or judge over us? Will you kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? Who made thee a ruler? Who, who, by what authority do you tell me what to do? By what authority, you know, and they're fighting amongst themselves. Let's see, I don't think the Pharisees and Sadducees, Herodians and Zealots ever fought among them. They fought among themselves. And he, and, 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 but who, who gave you the authority? Who put you in charge? 
God calls Abraham twice before he gets to the right place. Joseph is not recognized by his brothers till the second time. Uh, Moses offers himself and they do not understand. Fighting amongst themselves. Thrust them away. Who made you a judge and ruler of us? You're going to kill us. Moses flees to the wilderness, verse 29. At this saying, and the stranger in the land of Midian where he begat two sons. And when 40 years were expired, they appeared to him in the, in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, an angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. Now again, I don't know how many times I've read this. I don't know how many times I've heard the story of the burning bush. Let me read this for you again. The last part of verse 30 says, There appeared unto him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord in a flame. An angel of the Lord in a flame of fire in a bush. The angel's there too. It's not just a burning bush. The angel is there. The angel is in the bush, visible in some kind of human form. Probably yes. Uh, Exodus says it the same way. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Um, some of you are familiar with many, many years ago in a land not too far away. Um, we had, between my property and the church property, an old ash tree that um, had a big hole in it, like this, a big opening in a hole. And there was a woodchuck that wanted to live in this little hole. And um, I said, this woodchuck's plundering my garden and running into this tree and going into this hole. And everybody told me, no, woodchucks don't go into holes in trees. And I'm like, and sure enough, uh, Mr. Bruce Loker decided to help me out. <clears throat> on a Sunday night, on a Sunday night, while we're in church, Bruce put a smoke bomb into this hollow tree, okay? And it was hollow all the way up. It was like a chimney tree, all rotted out from the inside. And he put this smoke bomb there to drive out the woodchuck. Unbeknownst to me or anybody else, I didn't even know this. And then at midnight of the same day, that Sunday night, we had just finished watching a NBA basketball game and actually getting ready to send my guests home. And the tree is on fire, okay? And it is like blazing on fire. Uh, it is, uh, it, fire is flying out of different knot holes in the tree, okay? The tree is on fire from the inside, not on the outside. It literally looked like a tree burning with fire and not consumed. And um, I, I do have footage of this and video of this. Uh, but uh, it, it's like, that to me is like, that's what this looks like. It's burning and it's not consumed. Now, the very next day, the tree completely collapsed um, the very, because it was burned from the inside, inside out. Um, but, and there's obviously more to the story there, but the, uh, this tree it looked exactly like that. It, it's burning, but it is not, not consumed. Um, but the angel of the Lord was there. Now, and again, the reference to the angel is important. And then look even further down with this. Um, 
it, it says that Abraham saw and he wondered and he drew near and he heard God's voice. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses trembled, verse 32, Moses trembled and durst not behold. He, he stopped looking. It was like this. It's, and, and it's very similar to Peter on the, on, the, on the transfiguration. He's looking and he sees all this thing. And then the brightness was so much that it's like, you know, I can't, I can't look anymore. And he had his face to the ground. And, and, he, and he stops looking. He can't look any further. He's trembling. Then said the Lord, and put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place where thou standest is holy ground. I have seen, I have seen the affliction of my people, which is in Egypt. I have heard their groaning, and I am come down to deliver them. And now I am come to send you to Egypt. This Moses, whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler over us, or judge? The same will God send to me a ruler and deliver by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. I have never seen that before. Let me read it again. The same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in a bush. I would tell you the story. Well, Moses was afraid. He, you know, he wanted somebody to go with him, so he got his brother, and God has allowed Aaron to go with him. So Moses and Aaron, Moses, Aaron, and the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord was there. The angel from the bush went with him to Egypt. And that angel of the Lord possibly is an Old Testament appearing of Jesus himself. That same did God send to be a ruler and judge. The one who was refused, he brought them out after he had showed them wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and the Red Sea and the wilderness 40 years. This is that Moses, look at 37. This is that Moses which said to the children of Israel, A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up from your fathers like unto me. Him ye shall hear. There's going to be a prophet raised up like unto me. Uh, the one that comes and they refuse him and then he has to come back. The God of the second chance. You're doing the same thing. Skip down to verse 51. We'll cover the rest of this next week. Here's the point. By the way, the very next, the very next thing he talks about is the promised land. God came to Abraham and called him to where he's supposed to be. God had to call him a second time to get him to the right place. Joseph, his brothers came to Egypt. They didn't recognize him the first time. They would recognize him the second time. Moses came and said, I'm going to be the deliverer. They thrust him out, had to wait 40 years for him to come back. And then we get the, the last one that he mentions is the promised land. They're on the doorstep of the promised land, and they refuse to go in. And they have to wait to the second time they're offered a chance to go in before they respond. God's given you a second chance. God's given you another chance, another time, another opportunity. You refuse the first one. You're just like your fathers. Jesus came and presented himself, but you were jealous and envious, and you thrust him out. He came unto his own, and his own received him not or believed him not. You're just like them. Verse 51, you're stiff-necked. I understand what stiff-necked means. You're uncircumcised in heart and ears. You're not, you don't have an open heart. You don't have open ears. They're closed. They're, they're sealed shut. You don't hear. You don't respond. Stiff-necked. You're uncircumcised of heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost, which is always a bad plan. 
you always resist the Holy Ghost. Always. It's like Stephen is, again, Stephen is not pulling any punches here at all. He's talking to the Sanhedrin and said, you have, the Spirit of God has spoken to you. Jesus himself said this, you have heard my Father's words. You have seen the miracles that I have done, my Father's Son. And the Holy Spirit is pricking your heart, and he says, if you say anything against God, that's one thing, and you say something against me, that's another. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit and you refuse to listen to what the Holy Spirit says to your heart, there is no salvation in this world or in the world to come. You're resisting the Holy Spirit. You can't do that and have eternal life. You can't do that and have eternal life. By the way, just side note, those who say that you can't resist, Stephen's pretty sure that they can't. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do you. It's the same. Pick one. I, I don't care. He says pick one. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? Pick a prophet. And they slew them. Those who showed before the coming of the Messiah, those that talked about the coming of the Messiah, they, they persecuted them and they, and they killed them. And, and John the Baptist talked about the coming of the Messiah. What, what happened? He's dead. And you're, you've now, in regards to the just one, you've, you're now betrayers and murderers. And again, yeah. Which of the prophets have your fathers not persecuted? Anyone who talked about the Messiah has been persecuted or put to death. And John the Baptist, you put him to death. And now you're betrayers of Jesus and you're murderers who you received the law by the disposition of angels, then you've not kept it. God has made you special people and given you special responsibilities and made you keepers of the law, and you don't follow it and you don't do anything you're supposed to do. I think at this particular point, Stephen has a little animate in his approach, a little aggressive. And the response again, just very quickly, I'm not going to dwell on it, but they were cut to the heart. It doesn't mean, oh, man, you're right. <laughs> it means they got angry because it hurt so much. They got angry to the point where you're irritating us. Shut up. Just shut up. And they picked up stones and shut him up. You have two choices at this point. Peter gave them two <laughs> He's given you another chance. He's giving you, you you're, you're acting just like your father's. This is a second chance. Please do not refuse the second chance. Do not refuse this opportunity. You've crucified him, and now he's sitting at the right hand of the father. But now he sent the Holy Spirit, and he's alive, and you have a second chance. Do not refuse this. You can be forgiven. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. You can be forgiven. Two choices, get angry or get right. He said, I've had enough. You are missing your second chance, or in some cases, our cases, you're missing your third chance, your fourth chance, your fifth chance, your tenth chance. Don't miss it.
Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at your word this morning. Lord, I pray if there's somebody here this morning that does not know you as personal Savior, that they would make that decision to put their faith and trust in you. Maybe they put it off for time and time and time again. They've had opportunities before, but they've refused. And now you're giving them another chance. Now you're giving them another opportunity to put their faith and trust in Jesus. Father, may they not get angry, but may they get right and get things right with you. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thank you for speaking to hearts. May we do what is right. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed this opportunity to hear the word preached at Factoryville Bible Church. Factoryville Bible Church is a non-denominational church in Athens, Michigan that seeks to share the good news of the gospel through a number of ministries in the area, including Factoryville Christian School, Camp Elvin, and the Passive Forward Shop. To learn more about the ministries of Factoryville Bible Church or to support the mission of our church, visit our website at factoryvillebiblechurch.com. Thank you.